One Hope Church. Morning. Welcome to a beautiful fall day in Athens, Georgia. Glad that you're here this morning, joining us in person or in line, and welcome to you. And uh, especially those visiting with us today, we appreciate you. And for those in our church family that are out of town today, we pray for uh, safe travels back to Athens, Georgia. So we're going to continue through our study this morning um, through the book of Genesis. We are just marching right along. Um, You know, that's basically just as a reminder, over 90% of the time, um, how we teach in our churches is straight through books of the Bible. And there's a very important reason for doing this. One is to know, you know, the word of God, but the other is so that we do not have the, uh, liberty to skip over things that are difficult. Um, we have to tackle them head on. Um, and that is, um, important element of what we're doing because we're not just picking and choosing the things of God that we in the, that God gave us in the scripture that we like or that we don't like. Um, it is indeed a package um, deal. And so we don't have the liberty just to say, well, I like this and I don't like that. I like this verse. I don't like that verse. And, you know, kind of separate them into two piles and leave the one and take the other. That's not how we approach the scripture. We approach the scripture Um, Hopefully, we all approach the scripture from a very humble perspective, saying that God's ways are above our ways. God's knowledge, wisdom, insight is better than ours, and that our shifting culture will at different points on different subjects um, agree or disagree with with God um, to a great degree or to a lesser degree, but it's always going to be changing the cultural um, norms and Um, cultural definitions of what is true and what is false, what is good, what is evil. But God and his his definitions does not change. So we're always better off to come at the scripture from God's perspective and to come as the one to be taught, not as the one who needs to inform God of what God should have had as God's opinion. Let that sink in for a minute. We come to the scripture, humble for God to learn from God, not that we would go and inform God of what God should have thought. So let's remember that this morning and always as we open our Bibles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you and praise you for the privilege to come this morning to your word and to learn from it. Please teach us and inform us by it. Lord, help us to be brave and of good courage. Help us to be strong in you, to seek your wisdom, and to live according to it. And we ask it in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Chapter 8, verse 1, and just remember um, where we had left off is, you know, Noah is in the ark um, with the um, two of every kind, seven of um, clean animals that could be used for sacrifice. Um, 
with his three sons, his sons' wives, and um, they are uh, in the ark. God had shut the door. From Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, God shut the door. And um, then the rains came down, and the waters um, sprung from the foundations you know, of the earth, that the landscape of the earth would forever be altered um, through this great flood. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. In chapter 8, verse 1, it said, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continuously from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven which was going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. And he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot and she returned into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself and he waited yet another seven days and again he sent the dove out from the ark then the dove came to him in the evening and behold a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth so he waited yet another seven days and said of the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dried. We'll stop there just for a minute just to enjoy that picture. And it's kind of interesting with our um, COVID-19, you know, scenario, um, you know, people have been, you know, locked in from their normal routines much more than than normal. And sometimes people have to go into quarantine for people for a period of days. And imagine, you know, if you're like in your, you can't leave your house or you can't leave a room or something like that for 10 days, you know, you might start to, um, you know, get a little bit anxious to, Hey, I want to, I want to go out and, and move around. Um, yeah, it's a big arc. Like we talked about, you know, last week that it would hold 125,000 sheep, you know, on this arc, um, was it's, you know, capacity. Um, it was, it was big, but at the same time, you have to imagine after all this, all these days, weeks and months that, you know, Noah and his family is like ready to get off that boat. Right. Um, ready to to be back on dry land. So if you start, you know, we don't know what's going to happen next, but if you start to feel a little bit, you have to get quarantined or something, you know, remember Noah and his family and all the animals on the boat and think about how long that was and 
be thankful <laughs> that yours will probably not be that long. Okay. Um, but he sends out the raven, then he sends out the dove. And it's a beautiful picture. You know, there's a reason we think about the dove and the olive branch as symbols of, of peace, and symbols of hope. Here we have in this passage, um, they are indeed that. Um, and we are, we are thankful. And then in verse 15, it says, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all the flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, Every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and a very clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the Lord, or burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night. And so here we have again, you know, Noah comes out with all the animals and you have that instruction again to be be fruitful and to multiply. Um, there's a replenishing, a rejuvenation, a recreation you know, of the earth. It's similar language to what we found, the instruction given to, you know, Adam um, and Eve. And so, you know, in this, there is great hope. And then there is also, you know, God's promise. And his promise is in spite of the wickedness of the human heart. Notice God says, Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. You see, folks, if, if you are ever doubtful about what people are capable of from their youth, I mean, you just take a bunch of middle school, just take a bunch of middle school guys and let there be one who um, is different from the others and let that situation go unchecked. And what will you find? You will 99 times out of a hundred find great evil. Uh, you will find oppression. Um, folks, the, the inclination of the human heart is so often towards evil. That's the inclination. And it's a lack of understanding that this is, this is true is, um, you know, is, is, is problematic, but it's why so many people um, have a hard time coming to the basics of the gospel of Jesus to be, begin with, because so many people want to begin with the inclination of humans is good that we are fundamentally good 
And if you have a sense, if you if your if your starting point is that humans are fundamentally good, then that would mean that most humans do not need saving, that they are okay as they are. But this isn't um, an accurate assessment of the situation. A deep dive into one's own heart apart from Christ reveals that even it reveals the, the violence that is even in the heart of a quiet person. Folks, we shouldn't have to look around too much to agree with God about the inclination of the human heart. It doesn't take too much more, I don't think, than opening one's eyes and looking around. But in this we have God's promise. Not again to destroy every living thing as he has done. And while the earth remains, and again, you know, we, we are getting, we're early in the narrative. But later on, we see the prophecies of a, you know, of a new heaven and a new earth um, that will one day be. But while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night. And I think that this should give us some balance in perspective, because no matter how difficult things may be in a season, no matter how bad things may get in a period of time, that unless you are actually at the time that Jesus you know, returns to judge the earth and there is a new heaven and a new earth and all of that, which, you know, when when that happens, again, not getting too much into that or into the to the rest of the story on um, today but when that happens you won't be so worried about seed time and harvest cold and heat winter and summer and day and night so until then you know when things are happening and when things happen bad we should be people of hope that hey you know we have the promises of of the lord that even that that god gave to noah and so we know that there are um, that this is for a season, but there's going to be another season to come. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Let's stop and talk about this um, for a minute. Because up until, um, you know, after the flood... It seems like the the normal the um, the prescription, not that it was necessarily always followed, but was that humans would be vegetarians. It seems like that was the normative case, and then um, 
you know, afterwards, it's that, you know, the, the animals of the earth are going to, to fear you. They're going to be wary of you, you know, naturally. They're going to seek the, to run so they do not become your food. And God says here, you know, he's given them everything in order to eat. Now, what's interesting is then you get to the law of Moses and then there's restrictions between what is clean and unclean and all these things that weren't supposed to eat. And again, that's God's got reasons for that, for the nation of Israel to he's teaching them about purity. And then, but it's for a season, that lesson is for a season until the cross. And then remember in in the book of Acts and Peter has this dream and Peter having grown up with those dietary restrictions his whole life. And then he's shown the sheet with all the, the types of animals, you know, on it that were previously to him unclean. And he's told, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And now there are no more prohibitions. And so he can eat pork and shrimp and you know catfish and other things that he wouldn't have been allowed to eat before. Now, there's something in here that kind of is going to disrupt everybody's pattern. Now, there's nothing in here that says someone can't voluntarily be a vegetarian. That's a choice that people can can make, and there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it seems like in the end, you know, the lion lays down with the lamb. It seems like we'll probably be vegetarian again in new heaven and new earth. And that's at least a possibility. So don't worry too much about it. If your conscience bothers you, don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. At the same time, don't go after people whose conscience doesn't, doesn't bother them about eating meat and vice versa. You know, that's one of those, for those who are followers of Jesus, that's one's own decisions and own conscience. And, you know, the, the key thing there is um, not to violate what you feel like you should do and also not to be oppressive to other people on what, they feel like they should do. Now, that might sound well. Well, you know, do we do we do we apply like all things to that? No, we don't. You see, because that's not a sin or a not sin issue. It can become a sin if somebody makes it an idol or somebody you know oppresses other people through their perspective on it and what they want to do. But we're following in that the biblical guidelines. So that methodology works in this. It doesn't work on something that God has called sin. It doesn't work, for example, with, you know, somebody wanting to, you know, explore pornography. It doesn't work with that. Why? Well, because that's a sin. What I'm talking about there is not a sin. There's a difference between sins and preferences. And we have to go with God's definition of the things that he's allowed us and say, these are preferences for you. And the other things where he says, no, these things are 
wrong for you to do or these things are things that you are required to do. And just a quick note on that. Yes, there are sins that are committed, but there are also sins that are omitted. Sins of omission, when we know we should do good and don't do it, that is sin. But there is one restriction that is given here that is consistent from this law that God gives through Noah. It's consistent through the law of Moses. It's consistent in the teaching of the um, early church through the you know, apostles and the, the through the council at Jerusalem. And that is you don't eat um, animals with its life, that is with its blood. That me- what, what does that mean, though? Because people oftentimes misunderstand that and think, what does that mean? I can't have a steak that's medium rare. No, that's not what's being talked about. What's being talked about is how the animal is is slaughtered, how the animal is prepared. You're not supposed to eat an animal that has been strangled and then cooked. It still has its lifeblood in it. The blood is supposed to be let go. That is very clear as you both as you read the scripture and you understand the cultural practices and just about how animals are butchered. Okay, that's just how that goes. And so you're not supposed to do um, that sort of thing. We'd also call that with the practice of some, which is like this bloodletting where they cut the animal and drink the blood and then it, the animal is able to heal back up and they're able to do it again. That is prohibited in, in the scripture. Okay, sorry for being kind of gory on that, you know, this morning. But there are clear things the Bible has said and the Bible has not said. And that is that is one. And again, it does matter what covenant you are talking about. The covenant God gave to Noah, the covenants God gave to Abraham, the covenants God gave to Moses, the covenant that we have in Jesus are not all the same. So we have to know what applies to whom and when does it apply to you? And does it apply to you at that particular point in the government that God has given at that particular point in time in history? Okay. These are important principles to understand as we approach the word. Now we get into what is today a controversial Subject, And I'm going to ask you, as I even before I read this, I'm going to ask that you hear the full deal that I have to say on it this morning, that you don't just take one sentence and then go, well, you know, we think this about it or we don't think this about it or I agree with this or I disagree with this or whatever. Listen to the whole thing. Okay. Because God says this. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever shed man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. And we're going to stop there for a minute. Now, again, context, remember that when Cain killed his brother Abel, 
God did not give him capital punishment. God did not take his life. God put a mark on Cain and said nobody could take his life. But after the violence and wickedness of humanity that led up to the flood, again, because of their extreme violence, God, when he makes this new you know, covenant with Noah, he's, he's giving him some instructions that are to apply to, the, to that, the government at that time. And this is really, in, in some ways, a beginning of human government. You know, as, as before this, we're not given, you know, what commands there were or weren't there in, in different communities and what was established. And so the main point here is that God is telling Noah that this sort of wickedness cannot go unchecked. You cannot have someone just going around killing person after person without repercussion. You know, you've got to put a stop to that. And why do you have to put a stop to that? And this is what's really interesting. And it might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but bear, bear with it for a minute. For whoever shed man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So the reason why God takes murder so seriously is because that person who commits the murder, the murderer, has destroyed an image bearer of God. God has placed God's value on that human being and given them intrinsic worth, you know, again, made in the image of God. And then that other person destroys what is not there, theirs to destroys. To destroy. So this is when a person, you know, it's not self-defense, it's not war, it's when a person, you know, murders someone, takes a, um, a, a life in a premeditated way. It's not an accident. It's not, you know, two guys get in a fist fight and one of them falls down and hits their head. It's not, you know, th- this is what we're getting had here in the scripture um, it's this sort of premeditated violence that had gone on before the flood that made the earth so wicked that God had to start over with Noah and his family. Now, some may be asking, well, how does this apply, you know, today? Well, the closest I think we get in the New Testament is the scripture tells us that the judge does not bear the sword in vain. Okay. And there is still this principle because we're not talking about what was in the law of Moses. We were talking about, you know, this covenant with Noah before that. And this would have been for all people in all places. Now, again, before you think one thing or another thing, I'm also going to say, I I believe the scripture here in this covenant with Noah that the implication is that you have a government that is just. I think that's understood in the scripture. If you're going to, if you have capital punishment, you're going to have to have a government that is just and is looking to apply that, that punishment justly. Justice should be swift and it should be clear. Like there should not be doubt 
or, you know, we're mostly sure this person did this. You know, that's not, that doesn't work when you're talking about a consequence that you can't reverse. Okay, so there is that. I would also argue that if you are in a situation, if you're in a government where there's a different um, outcome based on the quality of a lawyer one can afford, that you might not want to have capital punishment in that scenario. If you're in a situation where the poor are going to get capital punishment and the wealthy are not, you're probably better off not to have it. If you're in a if you're in a nation where one ethnicity is favored over another ethnicity when it comes to how punishments are dealt with and the severity that they are given based on one's ethnicity, you probably should not have capital punishment. If you're in a situation where one religion is favored over another or one sect is favored over another, say you're in a Middle Eastern country and, um, you know, when one sect, say, say for example, you know, the Sunnis are in charge and when they do something, you know, their people get a slap on the wrist and when a Shia person does something, you know, they get hammered. That's probably not a situation where you want to have capital punishment. So I hope everybody understands that. The, 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 the concept is biblical. Okay? The concept is biblical. Um, however, the application of it, you have to be sure that justice is actually being served. And when it's not, you're better off not to have it. I think that is all fair to say from the scripture, because in the scripture there were, you know, God is not a respecter of persons and, and the law judges, you know, are not supposed to be respecters of persons um, either. And so we have that. Now, I'm just going to, I'm going to bring up one here because sometimes people will argue and say, well, you know, how even from a, just a theoretical position, could you say that, you know, abortion is wrong, but capital punishment is okay. I mean, they're both taking a life. Here is the difference. And it's a very important difference. Justice. In one case, there is a person who is guilty, a person who has committed a grave crime, a person who has taken the life of another and destroyed an image bearer of God. And in the other case, someone who is innocent, who has done no you know, wickedness on the earth, that one's life is taken at no fault of their own and for nothing that they have done. There is a night and day difference between those two things. But I felt it important to bring that up this morning because I would say in... Every, almost every conversation that I've had with someone who was defending um, the the defending abortion, that capital punishment has been brought up as a de- as part of the defense of it. It happens pretty much every single time, so it's necessary um, to bring that up this morning and to let you know 
Like, here is how to have that conversation. You can still say, perhaps we shouldn't have capital punishment in our context if we are not clear that our society is just. But the flip side of that is how could a person, how could a person argue that the guilty should not be judged, but that the innocent should have their lives taken? You see, so you can actually use that to go, hey, now answer me this on the other side. If you are against the life of the guilty being taken, how can you be for the life of the innocent being taken? There is a problem there. And it is a grave one. And again, um, we have to hammer this, this made in the image of God is what gives us our value. It is here again. You know, I'm not looking this morning just to, you know, hey, I, I, I want to talk about this again. Look, it is here in the scrimmage, the scripture. For in the image of God, he made humans. For in the image of God, it is here. Again, the value of a human being is not based on their age. And it is not based before God on whether that, that person, whether that human being is desired, wanted, or not. And it is not based on what that person can or cannot accomplish. Again, we live in a confused world that celebrates the Special Olympics and at the same time tries to ensure that we don't have Special Olympics in the future. Not through advancements in medicine, not through advancements, but through death. That's the world that we live in. Iceland celebrates that they basically have no one born, almost zero, born with Down syndrome. Why? Because they have a campaigned to exterminate all who have it. Folks, our nation is not that far behind in that quest. It is a great evil. And yes, of course, all life must be valued after birth as well. What does Jesus instruct us? We are to be those who are part of making a difference in our world to feed and to clothe the poor, to look out for orphans and widows. We must not fail in that command. We must each do our part.
And as we continue on this morning, finish up with this. It says in verse 8, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with ever living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the air with you of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. And thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and a very living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and that shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a rain, bring a cloud of the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Just briefly on that yesterday, when um, so my family, we saw a beautiful waterfall, and the sun was shining. And, you know, it wasn't, the, you know, the, the kind of rainbow after a rainstorm and the cloud, but it was a, you know, you could see the rainbow shooting forth from the um, waterfall. And it was, it was beautiful. And again, in a small way, I, I, a reminder of God's promise of God's covenant that he had made. And that covenant um, should humble us, should humble us. And cause us to be thankful. And so when you see the rainbow in in the sky, remember the promise that God made to Noah and to his descendants. And so we are also part of the promise that was made on that day. And Noah began, verse 20, and Noah began. Well, actually, you know what? We'll just pick up there next week. We'll get to that. Um, we'll pick up in verse 20 and continue on. And soon we're getting, we're going to move from Noah, we're going to move to the table of nations, and then we're going to move to um, Abraham and the hope that we receive and the promises that were given to Abraham. And so we've got some chapters um, coming up of, of great um, hope and encouragement for our lives. But even in the judgment that is given, I hope that we see the hope that is there, the common grace of God that is given to us all. I mean, just think about the grace of God that there would be seed time and harvest. There would be cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night. The promise that was given in the rainbow, the, the covenant that was given um, with God. And, and we have such grace and so many blessings. And so whenever we see the judgment of God, it should wake us up and it should cause us to be humble and it should cause us to be reflective and to examine um, ourselves and our, um, you know, our culture, our society and, and where we're headed as a people. But it also should cause us to reflect on the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. And these are precursors. 
you know, in the grace of God, we that we see throughout the Old Testament, they are showing, you know, moving us forward to the ultimate grace that is given through Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins. And talk about grace upon grace, folks, grace upon grace that God has given to us in his son, Jesus. And I just pray this morning that we would be humble before God. We would lay aside all of our pride and we would say, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that even in your judgment, we see your grace. We see your provision. And again, there's an ability to enter in, not just into the common grace of receiving sunshine and rain, but there's an opportunity that is given to enter in to the grace of God that can only be entered into through Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And he's there with arms extended wide, ready to welcome in those who would receive him unto themselves. Let's pray and give thanks this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We give you praise. We give you glory and honor. And we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that it is truth. We are thankful for the promises that you gave to Noah and through Noah, even to us. So we are humbled this morning. By your love, dear God, and your provision. And we pray that more would enter in to that grace you have given us in Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we take the bread and the cup this morning, we give thanks that you suffered and died in our place. We praise, we praise your holy name. Thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Let's set the communion table here um, in just a minute. And just encouragement, as the scripture tells us, to reflect and ask the Lord to work in our hearts before we take it. Amen.